Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode three of Necessary Evil. Now, today is going to be a little contentious. I'm going to go ahead and warn you up front. No matter where you lie on the spectrum, left or right, you may hear some ideas that you don't like. That is good. You should always expose yourself to the other side's views. Do not live in an echo chamber. Get uncomfortable. Get thrown off for a bit by a strongly constructed argument from an opposing point of view. And who knows? Maybe you change your mind after hearing things put into a different light. All right? Maybe hearing something you hadn't considered before. All right? You never know. But no matter what, you should always be open to the idea that you could be wrong. And if nothing else, use this episode as a way to study the other side's rationale so as to strengthen your own views. All right? That's a very useful strategy in debate is to create a steel man argument for the other side and then try to deconstruct it. Too often in politics, you hear one side make a case based entirely off of a straw man argument. So, so someone on the right will make an extremely weak case in support of a left-leaning cause and then come in with their views that they've hopefully spent years developing to destroy that weak narrative. That's a straw man. All right, well, today I'm going to make a steel man argument, as strong of a case as I can, against socialized medicine, and then I'm going to make a steel man argument for socialized medicine. Now, I know this is a hot topic. I know I'm going to ruffle some feathers. But listen, it is so important to understand that reasonable people can disagree on these issues. Maybe the other side isn't stupid. Maybe the other side isn't evil. Maybe we want the same things, but we want to go about it in a different way. All right? And if you're so sure of your arguments, if you know you're right and you want other people to think exactly how you do, then wouldn't you want to hear the best possible case for the opposing view? Because then if you can defeat that argument with your reasoning, if you can dismantle that argument, then you can be completely positive of where you sit on an issue and be confident that you are advocating for what is best, for what is best, right? You're not trying to be left-wing. You're not trying to be right-wing. You want to be fair and just and correct, You are an individual. Remember what I said. People are sovereign. You are completely independent of your party, your friends, your neighbors, the talking heads on TV. Okay? You are smart enough to make up your own mind and think for yourself. Just because you're gay doesn't mean you have to agree with all your gay friends. All right? Just because you're black doesn't mean you have to agree with all your black friends. And, And... Pay very, very close attention to the people who tell you the opposite, all right? They are what I like to refer to as trash, trash. So if you want to be a little bitch and get all angry that someone disagrees with you, then here, I'll tell you what, here's what you ought to do. I'll give you a second before I get going so that you can pause the audio, you can get into your car, you can drive down to the local shopping center. And pick yourself up a nice little three-pack of brand new pacifiers. Since you want to act like a damn child. Alright? So, get to sucking. And come back when you grow a spine. You feckless little rodent. Alright? So I'm, not, I'm not kidding. Go on. Get. Scram. Buzz off, little boy. Beat it. Alright. Now that we've cleared the room of the imbeciles, let's jump right in. Now, full disclosure, I am against socialized medicine, apart from communally covering unavoidable and otherwise egregious circumstances. So, you know, if you grow a brain tumor or if you have a kid with cleft palate, then absolutely, I think we should all chip in to pay for that, right? That's completely unavoidable. 
and even if you get hit by a bus, right, and break every bone in your body, you need 75 surgeries over the next year to get put back together, I think we should all help out with that, right? I don't think someone should go broke just because they had an accident or got sick, but only for unavoidable or egregious circumstances, and I'll, I'll expand on that in a moment. Um, so overall, I do oppose Medicare for all. However, I am open to changing my mind about anything, except for war, okay, because there's only one correct stance on that, and it's the non-aggression principle. That's that's not up for debate. But I'm open to change my mind about anything else, uh, but I am perhaps most open to changing my mind about tax-funded health care. Mostly, I'll be honest, because the left invariably gets what they want over time, so I see it more so as some sort of inevitability. But still, I can see the argument, even if that weren't so. But be very careful not to get sucked into the name of the bill. Right? They'll say, oh, oh, you don't want universal health care? You don't want everyone to be taken care of? Of course I do, okay? But if the system is going to fail, then it's not compassionate to institute it, right? Because the new system is either going to make things worse or it's going to make things better, all right? And if it's going to make things worse, then it doesn't make you morally superior just because you tried. We want the same thing. We want what's best for low-income and middle-class families and, and individuals, the debate is over what will work better for those people. So don't let the left snatch morality away from you. The, the prevailing narrative now is that if you don't support Medicare for all, that, oh, you just hate poor people, obviously, right? You just want poor people to die of traveler's diarrhea in the streets, shitting themselves to death without any help, okay? And, uh, you know, anyone saying this is probably too far gone, right? They've been indoctrinated. They've been, they've been brainwashed. Um, I mean, what you need to do, you need to take these people to the nearest circus with a job application and a list of references, all right, because these people are clowns, all right? I am on the right. I do not support Medicare for all because I don't think it's what's best for the bottom and middle third of society. I am fully on board with the fact that our current system needs massive changes. I mean, huge overhaul. We can certainly agree on that, but you calling me evil for not jumping on board to your scheme, well, that's just lame. That's just, that's a weak argument, okay? So here we go. I'm going to make an argument for, and then I'm going to make an argument against. But real quick, before that, we have to establish that the argument is really about who the middleman is going to be in regards to your healthcare coverage, all right? Is it going to be the private sector or is it going to be the government? And ipso facto, the taxpayer. And why do we need a middleman in the first place? Well, a few reasons. One, you need, for all medical equipment, especially invasive equipment, the stuff that actually enters your body, you need, it needs to be clean, it needs to be durable, it needs to be ergonomic and reliable, um, it has to be consistent, so it has to fit, you know, all the little screws and connections have to fit uh, all the little connections of the other equipment, right, so consistency, and most importantly, it has to not kill someone. So the stuff is very advanced, it's very well engineered, and it takes a lot of time and teamwork to invent and mass produce these products that we, that we use on people every day. So for that reason, it has to be a little expensive. You don't want to be buying your sternotomy saw, which is, which is basically just a buzz saw that makes about an eight inch incision through your sternum for open heart surgery. Uh, you don't want to be buying your sternotomy saw at, at, friggin, at friggin Ross, all right, or Marshalls or TJ Maxx. Right? You need quality equipment for everyone. So that means that the biomechanical engineers and the manufacturing companies have to be handsomely rewarded for their work. 
because we want as many of the highest functioning engineers in the world to be working in the healthcare sector. And the high functioning engineers know that they can live an extremely comfortable life if they go into things like rocket propulsion, for example, or petroleum engineering, or any of those super high paying fields. So we have to attract them with a nice salary, or we're going to have the bottom of the barrel making all the stuff that we're putting in our bodies, all right, because they couldn't get a job anywhere else. And, you know, if you design a new mechanical aortic valve that's going to extend people's lives and improve the quality of that life, then you deserve to be richly rewarded. Don't, don't feel bad about that at all. Um, but because of that, the stuff costs a lot. Uh, along the same lines, you also want as many of the highest functioning people in your society to be doctors, right? So, you know, when you think of high functioning, you think, you know, doctor, corporate lawyer, entrepreneur, architect, that kind of thing. Well, we want as many of those we want as many of those college and high school kids who realize that they have something between the ears that most people don't to become doctors. And they're not going to go down that long road if they're not guaranteed a comfortable income afterwards. I mean, you got, you got four years pre-med, you got four years med school, four years residency, one to three years of, of a fellowship. That's before you even make 100 grand a year. I, I work with these people every day. They have an extremely tough life. I mean, they live at work. I count, Just last week, I counted up with one of the residents I work with about how much she actually makes per hour. It's below minimum wage. So these high-level kids are not going to put themselves through that, or at least not nearly as many of them, if they don't have that quarter-million-dollar salary at the finish line. So the equipment and the personnel have to be expensive. So to avoid having to pay $50,000 in cash to get your appendix taken out, which is how much, how much it costs me, um, you need a middleman. You need a large group of people to chip in a little bit each month, usually between twenty and two hundred dollars. And the middleman takes that money and hopefully pays, you know, forty, forty-five grand of that surgery, leaving you with a much more manageable bill. And you know, hopefully everyone in the, everyone in the pool doesn't get sick at once, so you can offload and disperse the cost a little bit. Um, but it's just like car insurance. I hit a deer last year and it cost me about eight grand to get a new bumper. It's ridiculous. Uh, but my insurance company who has thousands of people chipping in a little bit each month takes the brunt of that bill and leaves me with something I can handle on my own. Uh, but the difference is that with driving, we as a society recognize that you have much more control, you know, aside from an errant driver cutting you off or, or, you know, a tree falling on your car in a storm, you have almost total control over you hitting another car or running into the ditch or what have you. So when you screw up multiple times, the insurance company calls you up and says, hey, pal, uh, Cam Snow over here is paying the same amount as you, and he ain't costing us a dime. All right, we need you to cough up some more dough each month. It's not fair to Cam that you pay the same amount. All right, you need to take responsibility for your driving record and take the consequence. So I need to be careful. I need to be made aware, I need to be aware of things that could cost me, you know, texting and driving, drinking, or packing a bowl full of meth, that kind of thing. I need to be aware of that and avoid it. But if we nationalize car insurance, then what is the incentive to not door dink someone in the parking lot or bump into someone at a stoplight who hasn't pressed the gas pedal in time, right? If I don't have to pay for it, why do I care? I mean, yeah, it looks bad and unhealthy and sloppy. But hey, it's my auto body, my choice, right? <laughs> Whew. Take a deep breath because it's about to get worse. All right, relax. Uh, and so with healthcare, 
listen, some people just cost more, plain and simple. And a lot of that is completely unavoidable. Listen, I work on a lung transplant unit, uh, and we get a lot of these cystic fibrosis kids that come in at 15, 16 years old needing a new set of lungs. So if you think that that family should foot that entire bill, which includes usually an 8 to 12-hour surgery, probably a week in the ICU, another week or two on step down, uh, you know, that's if everything goes exactly to plan, you know, physical therapy, expensive medication, the list goes on. If you think the family should pay for that on their own, then let's be honest, you're an asshole, all right? Or you're just ignorant. Either way, we have to agree that people like that have to get taken care of, all right? So with car insurance, you can liken that to the errant driver who runs you off the road or the tree that falls on your car in a storm. All right, that's out of your control. You did everything right and you got screwed. However, we have drifted away from the concept of personal responsibility as a society to the point that we are now afraid to tell people the obvious truth, which is that morbid obesity did not happen to you. Okay, you don't have leukemia. You did not get smashed by a 600 pound Home Depot sign that fell on your head while you're shopping for weed eaters that left you 40 IQ points dumber. Okay, you did this and it's fine. I don't care. I really don't. I'm not just saying that. I have deeply personal relationships with people all over the, sp the fitness spectrum. Okay, I am pro-freedom. You can be whatever size you want. I do not look down on you. I, do, I hold no disdain towards you whatsoever. I'm serious. But when you eat yourself to death for 25 years and expect me to cover the tab when someone has to crack your chest open and perform a triple bypass surgery... Listen, I'm a little less inclined, okay? I mean, imagine, hypothetically, we nationalized car insurance. And again, hypothetically, 40% of the population had a raging crack addiction. And due to that raging crack addiction, 40% of Americans were driving in the wrong lanes, they were blowing through red lights, they were bumping into cars at the grocery store, just showing no regard for the financial ramifications of their actions. And yet, they're paying the same amount of taxes as you are. There is no financial penalty. They have no incentive besides looking good to treat their car with respect. Well, that would be almost the dictionary definition of unfair, okay? Are you picking up what I'm putting down or should I spell it out for you? We are not healthy enough for socialized medicine. Substitute the crack addiction in the previous example for obesity. Substitute the driving habits for dietary habits. Okay? And listen, it's not mean to point this out. If you were my friend and you were drinking yourself to death every night and I told you to be proud of your drinking, to show it off, and that I support you destroying your body every day, right? Healthy at every lifestyle, right? Do you know what that would make me? It would make me a shitty friend. So we have got to be open and honest in this discussion, all right? And you know what the real issue is? The core issue is, you know, when you say they can't help that they're overweight, it's not their fault, they're doing what they can, you are expressing the bigotry of low expectations, all right? You are saying that that person is not capable of doing something that millions of people do every single year. I mean, what a disempowering, nihilistic way to treat someone. I, I choose not to think that way. I see people as equals, all right? If I can eat healthy and do moderate exercise, and I think that you're too pathetic to do the same, then it makes me an elitist. 
I would have to look down on you to think that way. I would have to see you as being beneath me. And I refuse. You are just as capable as me. So I will hold you to the same standard that I would hold anyone else. And, you know, if you have a physical limitation that keeps you from working out, then obviously I'm not talking to you. But at the same time, unless someone is forcibly ramming a McDouble down your throat six times a day against your will, then you have control of what you put into your body, all right? I mean, the, the bigotry of low expectations is just rampant. And I'll expand on that more in a later episode uh, because it's something that leaches into many more areas of society and it's something I feel very passionate about um, is the bigotry of low expectations. And, um, well, you know what? Moving on. All right, we got enough time. I'm gonna do a quick rant, quick tangent, and I'll get right back on topic, I promise. All right, very quickly. Um, do you know where else this bigotry of low expectations is showing its head now? All right, is this whole voter ID BS. All right, every single big name in the Democratic Party, and don't you dare get upset because there is not a single Democratic congressman or senator who knows your name. Okay, these people are freaking strangers. Relax. In order for you to get upset at my criticism of them, you would have to be a child. Are you a child? Are you a moron? Okay, then, relax. Every member of the DNC is now claiming, to the letter of the law, that requiring voter ID is racist. And, you know, as a general rule, you should always be supremely skeptical of anyone who says that a certain question is just unaskable. So, like, oh, why don't we require voter ID? Well, you can't ask that. You should always be skeptical of that person's motives. But especially if the response is, that's racist. So when you hear or when you say, you know, I think that we should require a driver's license or some sort of identification for people who want to vote, they'll say, well, you can't say that. That's racist. To which you will reply, huh. Well, how? And then, without exception, you will see them revert back to factory reset mode and begin regurgitating platitudes from media talking heads word for word because these people are physically incapable of forming an original thought and breaking away from the herd. That's why I call them sheep. Like, uh, oh, uh, I don't know. What did my master say? What did my masters tell me that I'm supposed to believe? Please, please tell me, ruling class, give me my opinion. Spill it out for me, for I cannot think for myself. Tell me what I am to believe, please. Okay, so when the received opinion, remember the first episode, I told you to be very cognizant of received opinions. So when that received opinion that's been planted in their brains, and which has never been questioned or even analyzed, reaches their lips, you will hear... Well, because it disproportionately restricts black people's ability to vote. Duh. <laughs> to which you will reply, huh. Well, how? And then get ready, because something truly incredible is about to happen. Uh, take out your phone, try to record at least audio, but video is best if possible. Uh, because you're about to you're about to become the first person ever to possess real, tangible evidence of a human brain short-circuiting itself. All right? Because this sheep standing before you, this blessed lamb, this poor child of the herd, has just realized 
that in order to believe that voter ID laws restrict black people from voting, one would have to believe that black people are either too stupid, too lazy, or too helpless and pathetic to go to the DMV for themselves without the great white liberal to come swoop in and save the day. Okay, it's the soft bigotry of low expectations, and it's disgusting. Well, we can't expect the blacks to take care of themselves, can we? Uh, yeah. Every black person I know has a license. I mean, for God's sake, you need a license to to buy a case of beer, get a hotel room, open a bank account, sign a lease. I mean, you need a license to buy a damn bottle of cold medicine. I mean, come on. I think black people are plenty capable of marching down to the DMV and getting their own license. Now, why do I think that way? Well, because I see them as equals. Because I'm not a racist. If I can do it, so can they. Oh, well, what if they don't have a car? Well, Lewis and Clark walked from Missouri to Oregon. Okay, so pack a bottle of water and a pack of nabs, and make a day of it. All right? God. So, sorry. Back on track here. See? God, man. Ugh, this happens every time, man. I get all riled up. I start going off. This is usually to my mom over the phone. I'm just yelling. Like, Don't you get it, mom? Nothing is as it seems. She thinks I need to be medicated. But that's just the deep state talking. Trying to pharmacologically neuter an entire generation to permanently evolve out of masculinity, but uh, <laughs> that's a whole nother issue, so I'm just going to gloss over that for now. But um, listen, anyways, I think we are, damn, we're at about 20 minutes, so uh, all right, I'm going to do, I'll do a volume two later on. We're about 20 minutes in now, and listen, half you people got the attention span of a damn goldfish, so to be continued, but stay tuned because I am going to bring up some really strong points from the left, you know, such as my issues with big pharma, uh, racial disparities in regards to heart disease, the employer health care coverage system that we're under now, um, you know, the whole concept of like profiting off of people getting sick or injured, and definitely the EpiPen and insulin situation. I'm very passionate about that. So I know my Libbies out there are upset. That's okay. Your time is coming. Just relax. Think about what I've said. And I will see you next time on Necessary Evil, where people are sovereign, where all government measure is enforced by the point of gun, and where state power is in direct conflict with individual liberty. Thanks a lot.